Hello and welcome to the Nordic Football Podcast. I'm Steve Wiss and I'm joined by Jonathan Fadukba and this is the last NFP episode of 2019 and uh, what a year it's been. Yes indeed, hi everyone and hi Steve. The last Nordic Football Podcast of the decade. So goodbye to the 2010s and hello to the 2020s coming soon but before that we've got one final show to talk about all things Norway and Sweden. So, yeah, good to be with you, and I'm uh, looking forward to getting into it. Yeah. And, Did you have a good Christmas? Yeah, I was just going to say, I hope you, you know, happy Christmas and hope you had a good one, and well, I would wish you happy New Year, but it's not the New Year yet. And, uh, yeah, it was okay, you know. It gets pretty hectic, and, you know, I've got a couple of kids, and uh, I wasn't very well, so if my voice goes a little bit in this episode, then that'll be the reason why, you know. Um, it just gets absolutely mental doesn't it december and christmas but uh yeah i had a reasonably good time ate ate fairly well you know i had a nice turkey a few drinks around hope you had a good one yourself yeah i was on the whole garden uh it's a nordic nordic football podcast but it's belgian beer in my house so um a bit like all the swedish players actually going off to belgium so um <laughs> yeah in tribute to all of that uh i was on the uh Blonde Belgian beer, which was very nice indeed, and some turkey. But uh, we're not here to discuss our Christmas dinners, obviously. We're here to talk about the uh, dogs' dinners, which was the relegation battle in Norway, uh, where there was a huge shock, uh, which is where we're going to start, isn't it? And uh, I think the last time we spoke, we've had a few interviews in, in recent shows. Uh, Lecky James, the title winner with Mulder, and also um, Hasse Eklund, the Falkenberg manager. We've had quite a few really uh, exclusive interviews of late which you can delve into on spotify itunes or your usual place um but before that we were talking about the incredible relegation battle which involved six teams who could all go down on the final day and we've had a big casualty haven't we steve and we're gonna just touch on that first and wrap up norway for the beginning of this podcast yeah i mean i suppose you could say we've had two big casualties really because Tromsø obviously went down on the 1st of December was the last round of the Elite Assyrian. And, you know, I said all season, didn't I, that they would not go down under Simo Valakari, and I was wrong. They uh, they drew one all against Starbeck. I, I don't know how they didn't win this game, to be honest. They threw the absolute kitchen sink at them um, in, in incredibly snowy conditions. I think the goalkeeper of Starbeck had a, had a really great game. I mean... For those who backed over 2.5 goals in that game, they literally committed suicide. There were so many chances. Don't know how it ended one all. Um, but Tromsø went down, which was I was I was I'll be honest, I was fairly disappointed because I like the club. I mean, it's a shame for that region that a club like them go down under under a very good manager. And um, but we must congratulate those who did survive, especially Mjørndalen and Strums Goodser, who had a great two wins to end the year. And then the match that determined the, the, the final playoff position ended 0-0, Lillestrøm against Sarpsborg. And this was a game, it's like neither team wanted to win it. Lillestrøm were quite content to go for the 0-0. And it was a horrible game of football. And what happened was after that 0-0 draw, they sacked their manager, uh, Jürgen Lennartsen, who was a uh, Swedish ex-IFK Jutteborg uh, coach. As they sacked him, they brought in Tom Nordley, just for the two games, the playoff matches against start, but things uh, sadly went pear-shaped. Pear-shaped indeed. 
for Lillestrøm. I've actually met the uh, ex-Trumbler manager, yeah, yeah, when I was uh, in Gothenburg. Seemed like a fair enough nice chap, but he, he didn't have too much success there in Jotterborg. And it looks like he's had a pretty rough time of things uh, over in, in Norway. Um, as you mentioned there, they really, well, they botched it, didn't they, Steve? They absolutely botched it. Yeah. And, uh, they, they won the first game at start in the playoffs, uh, 2-1, uh, away from home. And you would have thought to yourself, well, you know, they're going to be all right. But uh, just tell us how that game panned out, the second leg at home against start to stay up. Well, it was um, the first leg was 2-1. Away goals count in this, by the way. So, you know, that isn't the worst result in the world, is it? When you get an away goal, you lose two goals to one. It's OK. Um, now, this match against Start was on a Wednesday night and I, it just happened to be that evening. I didn't watch this game because I was out playing in my regular uh, pool league and I happened to be in a location in the Yorkshire Dales, which is literally cut off from, cut off from everywhere. There's no mobile signal. There's no Wi-Fi, nothing right out in the stick. So the last time I had a mobile signal, I think it was something like three nil to Lillestrøm. And I thought, you know, they're safe, aren't they? They're, they're going to get the job done. And I could not believe the result uh, when I saw it later on. That, um, they actually went four nil up. Um, and then Martin Ramsland scored a six minute hat trick for start between the 76th and 82nd minute. <laughs> That's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? So, the, the, on aggregate, start go through on away goals. I mean, how you can blow a four well, four nil lead to four three in such a quick space of time is quite staggering, isn't it? So, I mean, absolutely remarkable. Saw the highlights of this, and I could not believe what I would see. Yeah, seventy sixth minute, seventy ninth minute, and eighty second minute to stun Lindstrom, who we've talked about before, and said are they too big to go down? I think on the last podcast where we talked about this, we said, you know, we couldn't see them falling. Although, I mean, you did actually predict they'll go down, didn't you? I think, Steve, uh, on that show. Yeah. But, uh, not in this way. I don't think you, you thought they would be directly relegated, but this is some way to go down, isn't it? <laughs> what, what, uh, they were... Is it 6-2 up they were? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it would be, let me think. There would be 5-2 five, five, up. Yeah, 5-2 up on aggregate, yeah. With with 14 minutes to go, but look, funny things can happen. I was watching Leeds United the other week against Cardiff City, three nil up, with about well half an hour to go, or three one up with eight minutes to go, and it ended three all. But Leeds had amazing dominance in that game, and I was at a loss how how to explain how it can happen. It, this was one of those where you look back and you think, how was it actually possible? But it only takes a second to score a goal in football, doesn't it? And I think as soon as they got one goal then the, the, the pressure's on them. As soon as they get two, they're absolutely shitting themselves. And, um, you know, it, it's remarkable football sometimes um, for it to happen this way. I have to say, I think they probably deserve to go down though, John, um, based on the season as a whole. So, uh, and it might even do the club some good. Who knows? Yeah, and that's the, the beauty of football. I mean, looking at the stats, in fact, uh, Lillestrøm, Edge of the game in terms of XG, expected goals. They had 1.74 XG in the second uh, leg uh, versus starts 0.75 XG. But who cares about expected goals when it, all that matters is the goals that you get? Because uh, a 4-3 win is irrelevant when they, uh, they've they conceded three in terms of away goals. So it really is a stunning story uh, to go down in that way. Um, 
what was the reaction from you know the club in general, Steve? What's 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 been said? Because I mean that is some collapse, isn't it? Shock, horror. You know the fans. I don't think they could believe what they were seeing um, on the actual day itself. But I think going into the two-legged playoff uh, affair, um, I, certainly fans would not have expected to stay up necessarily. I think they, they saw it as a 50-50 sort of matchup, uh, you know, start and not a bad side by any means. Uh, in fact, for the first leg of the playoffs, they were favourites to win at home against Lillestrom, which is understandable. I think the second leg, Lillestrom were quite a, a decent price with the bookmakers. So, you know, this was expected to be quite two close ties. Uh, I do have to question a, a couple of things. Uh, I certainly don't think away goal should count in these this ma this matches. It really should go to extra time, in my opinion. And it's just far too late in the year now for these matches. 11th of December, for Christ's sake. I mean, it's just, for a place like Norway, it's too late in the year. And, um, you know, random things can happen. But, uh, you know, the Lillestrom, obviously, it, it's a bit of a blow. But look look at the sides that have, this has happened to before. They've gone down in Bran. It happened to them 2014, 2015. Look, they should be far too big to stay in the Obos again for very long. I mean, even Viking went down in a crisis and came back and won the division, didn't they? So I would expect, fully expect Lillestrom to, um, to absolutely cruise promotion next year um, and maybe reset the club a bit. Might do them some good. Yeah, I mean, this is a massive story in terms of the context of Norway, uh, Norwegian football, really, in terms of Lillestrøm, who I have to say I'm not a massive fan of uh, over the last few years. Uh, we haven't really talked about them a huge amount. They've not really pulled up many trees, really, have they? And, you know, let's be fair, we I'm not sure if we'll miss them in, uh, next season, to be honest, um, given the way they've been going. There was a lot of uh, undesirable actions that happened after the game, isn't there? There was, I think, some ugly scenes with the fans. Um after the match, but uh, well, the start coach came out and said, "After he's never been, I've never been involved in anything like this. You only experience this kind of thing once in a lifetime." Whereas Tom Nordley said, "Anxiety grabbed us when it became four-two. There was complete panic, and panic is exactly what took place and has sent them down." But um, yes, I, from what I understand as well, it got a little bit ugly. Fans tried to get to the uh, into the dressing room to make their disappointments known maybe to the players. Um, fans, I think some of them tried to attack uh, various players, although in the end there was no arrests made, but uh, some, some people were rejected from the game. And yeah, this is Lillestrøm's first relegation in 53 years. So yeah, I mean, his comments after the match, this is an empty feeling. I must take my share of responsibility. LSK and I must put ourselves in this situation. Congratulate Stark and rebuild. It's the heaviest day of my time and it's going to burn me for a while. So, yeah, gutting for Lillestrøm. What about start, Steve? Because they were, they were near Lillestrøm not too long ago. But, uh, I mean, their captain, Erlen Segberg, described it as a miracle and said, we're a fantastic bunch. Um, you know, to come back with 15 minutes left, you know, what does it mean for the city and, what, you know, what do you expect from them next season, maybe? Yeah, the problem is they're a sort of side who you worry about long term because they're like a yo-yo club. I mean, they came up last year, but I mean, they never seem to have that many fans go in their stadium. Um, and 
you know, they need to look at that squad. I'll have to look at that squad in the new year and sit and make up my mind whether I think it's good enough to stay up. Last time they came up, of course, there was high expectations, wasn't they, that they were going to be a dark horse and things kind of fell flat on their arse a bit. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they've learned their lesson before of, um, you know, of why they went down, what went wrong, and, and maybe put it right this time. But they were clearly the third best side in the Obosl again. I think Sanderfjord and Orlesund were a lot better than them. So they've got a bit of catching up to do in that respect. So, um, but no, well done to them for coming back. I mean, it's kind of a freak, but, um, you know, you just wonder whether whether they're actually ready for a promotion again or not. But uh, they're up there and they've got to make the most of it. Yeah, and a player who was uh, key for them, Aaron Sigurdarsson, he, uh, he was very instrumental. Uh, former Tromso player uh, as well. He, he he seemed to be very good, 13 goals, um, and also providing eight assists, which is pretty impressive. I think, yeah, I remember you saying, I remember we did talk about a start when they were in, uh, when they came up, and there, there wasn't really expectation that they would go down, really, were there? It was kind of expected that they would do, in fact, quite well. Um, but they did go back down, and, and now they're back up. They had the second best expected goals in the league last season, so maybe they can, can build on that. But as you mentioned, uh, Arlison and uh, Sanderfield as well will be there. Uh, so, yes, um, and unfortunately for the Lillestrom fans, they will have to spend next season in the second tier. And I guess, like last season, we won't be talking about them too much. <laughs> but um, let's move on now. Uh, yeah, I mean, as, as I said, uh, Smorrison, in fact, one of the players of, uh, of Lillestrom described it as like a funeral and said, this is a responsibility we have to take and everyone is sorry, but we'll, we'll leave it there for Lillestrom for now and, and see how they rebuild. Maybe it will cleanse them and, and they can come back stronger. But yeah, moving on, Steve, what was your overall view of the season? I mean, let's let's wrap it up now just um, to give the listeners maybe who, who don't maybe know about our Twitter page. Um, we have a partnership with Y Scout over the past of the season, uh, which has been very fruitful and enjoyable, to be honest. I, I've, I've really enjoyed it, um, delving into the stats. And one of our final pieces for this season was to select our team of the season, combining Sweden and Norway. So uh, we're going to have a little look, delve into that now, aren't we, Stephen, just uh, wrap the season up in general. I mean, before we touch on the uh, the 11 players who've made our combined 11, um, what was the overall view of this Norwegian season? Have you enjoyed it? I remember in one of the preview shows, you were a little bit a little bit grumpy, weren't you? You said that you, you thought a lot of the quality has gone out of the league and uh, you were a little bit down on the elite Serien. But what's the overall take on this year with Molde being so successful and such an incredible you know, end to the season in terms of relegation? Have you enjoyed the year and what's your take on it? Me being grumpy, what are you on about? Um <laughs> But uh, look, I stand by that. Yeah, the quality in the league is not as much. Um, yeah, I enjoyed, you know, I did enjoy the, the season in its own way. I think I, especially the excitement down the bottom of the table there, obviously culminating in this relegation battle on the last day, which was really having everyone on the edge of their seats. Uh, and I also really enjoyed the story of Buda Glimt at the top of the table there, defying expectations and eventually finishing a great second place. But um you know, obviously, it was a bad year for the big clubs like Rosenborg, Bran. I mean, I expected the likes of Sarsborg to be up there in contention. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think overall it was a little bit of a flop at the top there. But some good stories. Viking, obviously, winning the uh, NM Coupon there um, and uh, things like that. But, yeah, it was okay. It was all right. It had its moments. Uh, you know, good and bad points. And we have a question from This Is Liam before we get into the uh, team of the season. 
biggest overachievers in your respective leagues, as you just touched on it there, in terms of teams who let you down or impressed. Uh, who were the biggest overachievers, in your opinion? Budiglin, would you say? Yeah, easily. Easily Budiglin and Viking, definitely. No question about it whatsoever. Um Buda Glimp were predicted to be relegated by a lot of people, certainly in the bottom three or four, uh, four or five. Um, I think I only had them about 10th, 9th or 10th. Um, and Viking, I think the Viking, there was a lot more optimism. But I, to actually finish fifth and win the cup uh, is a stratospheric um, season of overachievement, in my opinion. Yeah, they've been magnificent. And I think just to answer uh, uh, Liam... Uh, for me, the the biggest overachievers here in Sweden. It's, it's, it's a pretty, it's a tough question actually. I think a lot of the teams who, who did well kind of were really expected to do well. So maybe AFC Eskilstuna getting to the, the cup final was was big, but you know they didn't offer too much in in the league. Um, I suppose Urgarden. You, you can't really look past Urgarden in terms of ending their mm. title uh, drought. You know, it wasn't really expected. I think in the preseason podcast i had them about fourth or fifth um nobody really predicted them to win it you know um so i'd probably say they're the biggest overachievers that you can't do much better than winning the title can you when you're not expected to so yeah i'm gonna say you're uh with a little shout out to uh asc eskutuna just from the point of view of getting to that cup final which was quite unexpected and what about maybe falkenberg as a slight overachiever yeah that's a fair point and um yeah, we interviewed Hassa Eklund that, and obviously, to be honest, did they actually overachieve? Because for 29 games, they were <laughs> absolutely rock bottom. Uh, never seen any. I mean, they avoided direct relegation, didn't they? So, uh, I mean, that, that is the serious equivalent of handing in your homework, you know, one minute before the deadline, you know, for your coursework or something, isn't it? Just <laughs> staying up all night and doing that, doing it, you know, bashing it out in three hours and handing it in and not studying at all for the whole term because. They really were toast for large periods of the season with one of the worst goal differences, worst goal scoring records, worst goals conceded, and just rocked up in the last minute of the last <laughs> second of the season. And what about a ninetieth minute? A big underachiever. I mean, in Norway for me it has to be Sashborg or Vorlerenger. Uh quite clearly those two were the the size that should be doing an awful lot better this year. I don't know about about Sweden. Uh, underachievers mm. I think I'd have to say yeah, it's, it's a tough one because I mean if you look at it in terms of just pure um, places in the table Osterson's finished 12th and they've had that massive scandal um, so they've dropped quite a bit from where they you know have been in recent years but I suppose the off-field things makes it hard to maybe be too harsh on them um, yeah. underachievers I, th I think I think Kalmar, you know, they, they usually don't flirt with relegation. They usually just do enough to finish 11th or 12th. But this season, they just about escaped with the playoffs against, um, you know, the relegation playoff. Gifsundsvall as well. They were so good last year, finished 7th and now relegated. So probably, yeah, Gifsundsvall, I would say. And I was disappointed with Kalmar this season as well, I think. Yeah, good calls there. So um, we're going to talk about this combined Alsvenskan and Elite Assyrian Team of the Year that we did on a Wisecart blog now, and let's uh, get into it. We've uh, gone with the uh, there's a few. Do you want to unveil the Norway and I unveil the Sweden or Wisecart? Yeah, yeah, let's start. Well, let's start at the back. Um, the goalkeeper, and uh, well, 
I have to say, in Norway, if I was going to pick a goalkeeper, it would have been um, Sandberg from Starbeck, who uh, who was for me the, the clear best keeper in in, in the elite series this year. But he wasn't, I would call, anything really special. Um, I think uh, the candidate we've chosen uh, was clearly the best one, and it's from Sweden, John. Yeah, I've gone for Isaac Pettersson from uh, Nor Shopping, a team that I had tipped for big things at the start of the year but didn't quite live up to the hype. Uh, ended up nine points off the title uh, in fifth, although I still think they had a pretty creditable season but just maybe didn't capitalise on the momentum and obviously lost Jordan Larson, their top scorer, um, mid-season, obviously going to Russia and doing quite well in Moscow. But yeah, I've gone for Pettersson. He was voted the goalkeeper of the year in, in the Osvenskan. Uh, he's been called up to the national team as well for Sweden. And to be honest, I was very imp- I, I've been impressed with him for quite a few years. And I, I've spoken to some scouts as well around Europe and they, they um, just say about Sweden in the past and his name's come up and uh, I think he impresses a lot of people. And I think he's going to have a, a decent career ahead of him. Um, he's only 22. His uh, save percentage was 79%. And he faced a lot more shots than the best save percentages were, I, I believe, um, uh, Tommy Vaiho and... Uh, and the Malmo keeper, if I remember rightly. But um, in terms of actual shots faced, um, they, they faced way less shots than, than Pettersson, who was uh, tested a lot more in the uh, no shopping goal due to their inferior defence. But he kept, uh, nobody kept more clean sheets than him this year in the league. And, he, you know, as I say, third in the shots percentage. He's only got a year left in his contract, so I'll, that'll be an interesting one in this winter window. Where does he go next? Could he move on? Uh, I think there's a very good chance that he will move on to a, a bigger league at some point. If you remember, um, a few years back, the EFK Yotaburg keeper ended up uh, at uh, at uh, Watford. He's not really pushed on since. He's been playing, you know, under-23s football and that kind of thing. I hope that's not the fate for um, Pettersson because I hope he can go to maybe a, a league where he can play. But, uh, yeah, I think he's going to be one that you'll hear about more in the future as well. He's a, a very impressive goalkeeper. Uh, we've gone for a back three, haven't we? I don't know if you wanted to say something else. Yeah, I was just going to say maybe he could be the next Andreas uh, Isaacson or something like that. Um, who knows, uh, down the line, Pedersen. But yeah, I mean, this back three, I, I don't call it a back three. It's just we, we picked the three best defenders, um, I think, because we had a problem here that we just couldn't decide on, on a sort of a second centre-back, could we, John? Um, the, the clear standout centre-back in this is obviously Marcus Danielson from your garden but um he's joined in this uh, defensive trio by uh Wittry and also frederick Bjorkan from buda glimpse so um i mean we've talked about the dif defense a lot this year and, and one more last time uh, that you feel that danielson Wittry were the the two real standouts from that back line yeah you, i mean obviously elliot shesh and jacob you larson did well uh, but you can't rule out uh, Marcus Danielson has to be in there. Absolutely no doubt about that. He won the most. He won the MVP um, of the year in Osvenskan, and he won the Defender of the Year as well. So he cleaned up at the awards, you know, picking up the uh, all the glo- all the uh, trophies there, and picked up the main trophy, the uh, SM Gould. So at the end of the day, Danielson, he's is is his career arc has really gone sky high. To be honest, I mean, I remember, I remember pointing him out in 2017, um, the year before he joined Diff, Gurgarden, when he was a Gifsuns fan. And I remember thinking he's a player who could go on. Uh, you know, I, he was a really towering figure in that Gifsuns defence, but I didn't expect him to go to this sort of 
you know, lengths in terms of captaining his side to the title. He came up with some clutch goals, um, really clutch. Two two key, well, two title-winning goals, really. Uh, 2-1 win away at Ostersunds and a 1-0 win against Kalmar as well. Two bullet headers from corners. Um, obviously, with it being so tight at the top, one point settled the title in the end. Um, those kind of goals were really clutch. And just in general, he brought a sort of calmness to the defence as well as aggression when needed. Um, a, a real captain in terms of his, his lead, leadership and fully deserves it, to be honest. He won 68% of aerial duels and he's not the quickest, but, you know, everything he did was was calm and, and, and assured um, and fully deserves his place in, the, in that team, in my opinion. Aslak Vitri, I've chosen him just because his, you know, his record in terms of assists was very impressive. I've called him the Alexander-Arnold of, of Osvenskan, um, purely because he's just, he gets up and down. Uh, it's weird, isn't it? Because you didn't really rate him in, in, in Norway. Uh, I wouldn't say it wasn't the case that I didn't rate him. I think it was just, I just didn't see him going onto this level mm. at your garden, really. I saw a player with some potential, but quite raw in a way. But I certainly could not have envisaged um, this massive step up. I really think that he's been really well coached at Diff. Yeah, he's been fantastically well coached. And, you know, the Garden success is really a coaching thing, really, because their squad is probably, it's very good, but it's, you know, player for player, you'd probably favour Malmo or maybe even Hammerby or ALK, to be honest. But um, everyone pulled their weight. I mean, Elliot Shesh, the left-back, got more assists. So there's an argument that maybe I, I should have, you know, included him. But I think in terms of the defensive statistics from Witchery, you know, he, he did a lot. Um, he also scored four goals, 0.89 key passes per 90 minutes. It is very impressive at this level. So all in all, I think he deserved his place. And then we've got Bjorken, haven't we, a Norwegian player. Um, what did you like about him, Steve? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you, the cupboard is pretty bare this year, in my opinion, for Norwegian elite Assyrian defence, team of the year, candidates in defence. I couldn't, if you asked me to name a right-back, for example, I really couldn't choose one, I think, the no one was particularly special. Centre back the same. I think Bjorkan probably may well have been the best defender in the league this year. Um, to be fair, there wasn't much in it with the left back at uh, Mulder, Christopher Hagen, who did well. But I like Bjorkan. He uh, a really energetic player, good technically, good defensively. Uh, actually, one of his key statistics um, was it was a, a really good dribbling success rate, sixty-seven. Uh, 0.8% dribbling success, which is the sixth best rank in the entire league. So he knows how to beat a man, doesn't he, on the left-hand side? And he weighed in with a few assists, a few goals as well. I think he probably could have had a f probably could have had more goals and, and, and should have had more assists if they had converted chances a bit better. Just, I think, really good balance between defence and attack and he improved physically and technical this year. And, uh, you know, it was only fair that, uh, I mean, Buddha Glintz were one of the great stories of the elite Assyrian. I think it was only fair they uh, had a couple of players in this team, really. Yeah, they were magnificent. And uh, we interviewed his dad, didn't we? We did, yeah. I mean, you, you interviewed him there at the Scout Forum and a uh, nice fella. And, um, you know, they are a fantastic story. And I just hope um, that going forward, uh, they can they can really build on that success. They'll bring some great youngsters through the ranks at Buddha Glint. Nice system there. And um, yeah, Bjorkan is, is certainly one of the success stories and he may well depart this winter. You know, he's had such an eye-catching campaign. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Yeah, one player I just wanted to pick out as well uh, for, you know, honourable mention perhaps. Uh, I think, although he's not made the cut here, I think Simon Sandberg for Hammerby 
has had an excellent season as well, the right back, um, which we, I think, edges it because he, he had less key passes per 90 than Sandberg, which we had 0.086 and Sandberg had 0.096, but um, which we slightly younger. I think he offers a little bit more. He offered a little bit more defensively and also scored four goals. But yeah, Sandberg was really also very impressive in, in an excellent Hamilton team. <clears throat> and maybe they could feel like they, you know, they're unlucky not to have more players in this team in the season, to be honest. But uh, we didn't pick all of them, did we, Steve? Because if we move on to the midfield now, um, who have we got? Yeah, I mean, we've got... I think the, the one of the reasons we only picked three defenders is because there were so many good midfielders and attackers this year. Uh, yeah. in the league. So, I mean, we've really effectively picked five midfielders, haven't we? So, Tankovic, Tripic, uh, Yusuf... Uh, Evian and, and Magnus uh, Wolf uh, Eichram um, as the five there, and I suppose I'll kick us off. Uh, I might as well start with Hawk and Evian, who's obviously moving to AZ uh, Alkmaar. Uh, talked a lot about him uh, this year, so I don't want to drone on, but we're fantastic talent and uh, so many good things this year. Spectacular goals, spectacular assists. Uh, it's been a constant driving force for them. And, uh, you know, uh, if you want a bit of an underrated st statistic from Evian, that, that he actually won 62% of uh, his defensive duels, which is more than anyone in the entire league. So the sheer energy to track back and actually, you know, engage with these uh, players and, and actually win a ball is something that you perhaps don't think of with Evian. But he did have a history as a left-back uh, I do believe, and uh, although at one point uh, there was talk, there was rumours that he was a right back in his younger days, which was squashed by uh, our man up there in Voodoo, Tom Dent. But um, yeah, you can tell he did have a, a slight history in in defence, and uh, obviously going forward, we're going to be seeing him uh, in the Dutch league on the wing, or maybe probably as an attacking midfielder, central playmaker, um, absolute talent. I think he can go all the way to the top. Well, I think, yeah, this is going to be the last, prob I, I imagine, one of the last times we'll talk about uh, Hakon Evi, and I can't see him coming back to Norway or Sweden anytime soon. So to wrap it up, I mean, just to talk quickly about the AZ Alkmaar move and you know, his impact in general. Uh, how do you think he'll go on in his career? I know we've talked about it a little bit before, but just very briefly, how do you think he'll, he'll go on from here? And, you know, what's your, yeah. how do you see him getting on in, in the Netherlands? I, I think it's a really good fit for a league for him because that is such an offensive league, isn't it? Um, you know, defences uh, often have trouble there. Attack-minded coaches, you get three, four, three formations, don't you? Things like that. He's going to have a field day over there, I think. Um, you know, he's going to have his way. Uh, I mean, the one downside is perhaps, you know, in the Dutch league, there's a lot more pacey players, isn't there? So he's not going to be outrunning everyone like he did in Norway. But, uh, you know, he's got the technical ability. He's improved his physique. He seems to be over his injury problems. And uh, as long as he has a nice, good little break, uh, you know, in this month or two, I think he can really hit the ground running over there in, in, in Holland. And honestly, I could see him getting a, a move to a bigger league after that. Um, whether or not he will have the physicality for the Premier League, I don't know. That would depend if he develops that in the next year or two. Yeah, and he's only young. I mean, uh, I think one thing I like about um, him moving to AZ Alkmaar, they've got a lot of good players there. Uh, they've got um, Myron Boadu, they've got Calvin Staines. Their, their youth development is really looking sharp at the moment and they're, they're pulling out some really good results. Yeah, they're, um, they're in a battle, aren't they? I couldn't believe that when I looked the other day. Say that again? 
they're in a title battle, aren't they? I mean, it doesn't surprise me. The way they played against Hacken, I mean, uh, Myron Bode against Hacken in the Europa, Europa League qualifier, he really, he, he really stood out to me there. Mm. Uh, he he will go on for a good twenty million, in my opinion, somewhere else eventually. Um, so I'm not surprised they got other good players, Coop Myers, I believe. So I think it's actually a really good move for for every end. I think it's a perfect signing, to be honest. Um, but yeah, let's move on. We got uh, holding up the midfield there, the kind of Kante role, perhaps is. Uh, Al Hassan Yusuf from EFK Yotaburg. I don't know if you ever got to see much of him at all. Yeah, well, I, was, I was just going to say that this is the one player on, on in this eleven that I really don't know anything about. Uh, I had, actually had him in my elite, uh, our Svenskan fantasy team all year, and he scored me a few points. But um, yeah, I mean, I've read about him obviously on the on the blog here, and he sounds a, a really interesting player that uh, has had a great year. Well, you've done very well to get him in your team. I mean, he's uh, he's been very very impressive. Uh, a really impressive signing, picked up a bit randomly, to be honest, and uh, ended the season on fire. So you'd have enjoyed the last game of the season because he got two goals in a 7-1 win for EF Core against uh, Ostersunds. Um, in fact, which were his only, I think they were his only goals of the whole season. So you would have enjoyed that one. But uh, in general, the 19-year-old has had an exceptional season, to be honest. He, he's linked with Wolves now. Wolves are monitoring him. He, he was signed from the Gothia Cup. From a random team in Cameroon, I believe, Tiki Taka Development Squad, uh, the Nigerian. And he, of course, saw him in a game and were like, right, give that guy a contract. And uh, it's, it's proved to be a genius bit of scouting, really. He's won the Osfans Game Player, the Young Player of the Season Award. Um, as I say, he's been liking to Kante a little bit. He's, I think he's actually, I mean, he's nowhere in, I'm not saying he's anywhere near Kante's level, but his, his level of um, intricate play in terms of pass completion and that is. He's maybe not as tenacious uh, a tackler, but his his ability to intercept, his ability to pass, 91% completion rate, um, 78% forward completion rate as well, which I think is really good, progressive passing. Um, he's got an all-action kind of style about him. And, yeah, he's going to be another one who I think, you know, EF Core this season, the story of EF Core season really was young players doing really, really well and then, and then moving on. Um, <clears throat> and maybe too soon in some cases. But I think... Could be another one. At least, at least Yusuf's seen out the season. I'm happy about that. He's at least played one year in, in Sweden and he could be on his way again quite soon because he will be attracting clubs for sure. Yeah, he looks a really interesting prospect. Uh, hopefully they can keep him for another year, but it may be in doubt. And um, I mean, I'll move on to another player now. I just wanted to point out that Hawk and Evian did win the uh, Serien Player of the Season award. He beat Magnus Wolf Eichram. Uh, to that uh, privilege and we do include uh, Wolf Eichram in this team in the attacking midfield role uh, sort of number 10 and, and really it's because he was just totally exceptional certainly from April to July um, he really dominated the league in that period sort of injuries took over maybe second half of the year and he didn't seem as physically capable as he, as he could be but he's an absolute passing wizard uh, he ranked number one uh, in the in the elite area for key passes, smart passes, through passes, and also deep completions. So, look, an absolute technical wizard uh, at elite Serian level, and um, I think you could probably say he's the best player in the league uh, at, the, at the moment. And uh, I think probably the good thing for Mulder, he's not really going to be going anywhere. I don't think particularly, but uh, yeah, he had to be included in this team because of such an exceptional first certainly two-thirds of the year 
fantastic stuff. And uh, yeah, we've got a, quite a few Norwegian uh, Elitisarian players in our in our midfield, haven't we? Because we've got another one who I'll let you introduce uh, from Viking. Yeah, I think we both agree that um, this is a really strong area for both leagues, actually, in midfield. And I think there'll be three or four players missing out on this team who, who could feel very unfortunate, you know, certainly from a Norwegian perspective, guys like uh, Hesta and Tronstad at uh, Hogerson. But I, I had to go with Zlatko Tripic from Viking. Uh, he just had a great year uh, out there on the wing, on the left-hand side of midfield. He's two-footed. Um, he's the captain. I think he, he drove them on in, in a mental way, but also technically um, he had a great year, did, uh, did, did Tripic. Uh, just five goals and six assists, but you know there was a lot more to his game than that. He was rested quite a bit when they had a good cup run. Um, I don't think he, he particularly stood out in any statistical category, but that's what happens when you change the team quite a lot. And um, he's one of those players who's just got a great all-round game, strong physically, good technically, and as I said, inspirational leader as well. So, uh, you know, I, I felt he, he was a big part of getting Viking into the top five and, and winning that Norwegian Cup. And, uh, you know, there were those that would say that he could even have been a candidate for player of the season up there. I mean, for me, it was a clear, it was clearly between Evian and, and Wolf Eichram, but uh, Tripic certainly would be a clear top five player in the whole league. Fantastic stuff. Let's move on to the next um, man in line. And yeah, it's a uh, Svenskan player here to finish off the midfield. And uh, well, <laughs> you had to pick someone from Hammerby in this team, really, didn't you? Well, there was uh, there's quite a few I could have picked from Hammerby, to be honest. I think they're probably slightly unlucky not to have more than more than uh, more than one player in fact you could have had the whole the whole midfield really uh, to a certain extent i mean you've got players like kakanichlich who was outstanding i mentioned samba before as the right back he was very very good uh nikola Djuric as well who's missed out up front there's a lot of good players that we could have in this team but i've gone for Mila matankovic i think that it's pretty straightforward as to why uh you can't do much better than 14 goals and seven assists uh, more contributions to that goals than any other player in the league. The 24-year-old, uh, 2.97 shots per 90 is top 10 in the league. Um, and from a midfield position, that's quite impressive in, in my opinion. Uh, Paulinho, the Brazilian, was top, with, I think, four shots per game, but that's as a striker who everything goes to him. Uh, Tankovic, his creativity, his all-round play was, was very, very impressive. Um, I think this was the year he really kind of stepped up, to be honest, and, and, and made a name for himself. I've always been a little bit dubious about Tankovic in terms of is he consistent enough? Even, I remember him in, in his Fulham days, um, and then he went to the Netherlands, didn't quite do it there. And you always had, you know, he kind of came back to Sweden with his tail between his legs, really, in, in my opinion. Uh, almost hadn't really made it considering all the hype. But uh, this was the year where he really sort of showed that, you know, he's, he, he's got his head down and he, and he wants to progress, to be honest. And, and I hope he does progress. Uh, Genoa have been linked with a move. Uh, although a lot of the time I kind of say it'd be nice to see players stay in Osvenskan. To be honest, I'd actually like to see uh, Tankovic head on and move out because he, he shouldn't really have come back, in, in my opinion. You know, he's got the quality. Um, so the challenge for him now is just to keep that consistency and, and go from there and, 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 you know, push on in his career, really. At 24, you know, he's, he's at the midway, midway point now. So he should be kind of uh, moving on and, and doing well. He's got into the Sweden squad as well. So he'll be happy with that, I suppose. And yeah, good luck to him. And let, let's see how he goes from here. The, the move hasn't been completed yet, as far as I'm aware. 
but uh, there is strong rumours he will not see out. Uh, he won't be there next season. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well done to him, and I'm, I'm happy for him. You can certainly you can understand that, and uh... and just one thing on Hammerby. Sorry, by the way, just to recap: seventy-five goals scored. Um, incredible amount of goals. Twenty-two more than your guy who won the league. Uh, that is some doing. Yeah, like you said, there were quite a few candidates from Hammerby really that were perhaps unfortunate to miss out in in, in this team. But there were, you know, there was a lot of good midfielders um, and attacking sort of players uh, around both leagues this year, I would say. And uh, but we have gone with just two strikers, and they are uh, Turgil Bourbon and uh, Mohamed Bouyatore. So I'll start us off with Bourbon because he was the the highest scorer of the two with 21 goals, the top elite Serian scorer. And, uh, you know, this was certainly a surprise to me uh, and a surprise to a lot of people, really, because, uh, you know, pre-season there were doubts about whether he'd even be a starter. In fact, he was being retrained as sort of a, a midfielder, I do believe, at this time last year. Uh, but an injury to um, Helmerson uh, for odd up front meant that he had to leave the line for them. And, 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 you know, he certainly delivered with 21 goals had an expected goals of 14.25. So he overachieved that and, um, you know, made a remarkable improvement and uh, you know, well done to Bourbon, 21 goals and he deserves his place in the team. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. You didn't really expect him to, to achieve that. Did you? I think he's kind of um, overachieved, hasn't he, as a player this year? Well, definitely. I mean, look, this is a player who'd never in his whole career even reached double figures in terms of goal scoring for a campaign. And, you know, there was a time as a youngster, uh, you know, in his uh, early 20s where, you know, he was seen as this promising talent. I think he ended up in, in for a move to Holland. It didn't work out. And, you know, for the last couple of years before this one, he looked like he looked pretty crap, to be brutally honest with you, John. And I think even his own manager had given up on him as a striker to lead the line, you know, that's where they're retraining him. Um, I can't put my finger on what, what on earth happened, but he was really clinical with, I would call him as a complete striker, you know, strong all round game, uh, great in the air. And, and he, I just think he technically got better this year. I can't explain it sometimes. Even in when he was scoring goals at the start of the year, I was like, this will not last. Logically, he cannot continue it, but he did. And sometimes, you've got to accept in any sport that that certain players will prove you wrong. And, and he did with me. Yeah. And just before we move on, a, a bit of a shout out as well to um, Lecky James, a special guest on our last uh, show, an exclusive interview with him because he actually matched Torga Bovon for uh, non-penalty goals. If you take penalties out of it with uh, 16 apiece um, with a slightly lower XG 12.26. So, uh, I suppose statistically, you could you could argue Lucky James was maybe as good as a Borman from a from an XG point of view, um, and and actually for non-penalty goals. So yeah, congratulations to him and two others that I just want to point out as well. On Oe on the with twelve non-penalty goals, hmm. and Pellegrino at uh, Christiansen, Armel Pellegrino, who had ten non-penalty goals. That, those were the top four in terms of non-penalty goals. Uh, if you penalty goals. With, with Lecky James, didn't even start any of the first 10 games, John. So imagine if he had done that, he probably would have cruised the golden boot, wouldn't he? I mean, well, you yeah, played a thousand and 1,113 less minutes than Borven, in fact. So that's quite phenomenal, really, to be fair to Lecky James. So yeah, a bit of a shout out to him. And obviously, if you want to listen to that podcast, then please do subscribe 
and go back and listen to it. We, we'd love you to do so. Subscribe and tell all your friends. Um, but let's move on to the final player, Steve. Do you want to do the honours? Uh, a player I, I very um, much enjoy. It's a player that we, we've talked about on Nordic Football Podcast for quite a while, uh, even back in the day before he joined uh, your garden. But Mohamed Bouyatore completes the lineup, and uh, I know you were a really massive fan of him this year, weren't you? Yes, I've been a fan of him since I saw him play for AFC Eskilstuna, I think in 2016, uh, in the second division of uh, Sweden, the Super Etten, uh, in a team that got promoted. Part of a very exciting team at the time, Ferid Ali, and I think uh, there were a few others in there that I really enjoyed watching. Um, but yeah, Mr. Buyatua, it's going to be a shame to see him leave because Jurgen uh, have officially confirmed uh, via a tweet that he will not be returning. He's on loan, obviously, from St. Troiden in, in Belgium, came back after a bit of an unsuccessful spell there and fired Jurgen uh, to the title. He will always have a place in the hearts of Eurogarden fans off the back of this season. His, uh, his goal total, fantastic strike rate. He scored the goals to uh, secure the title, obviously, in the last day of the season against North Shopping. And he was a standout player in attack, really. His pace, his, 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 his aggression, um, his finishing as well. Some counter-attacking goals, fantastic. Malmo away will always stick in my mind. Uh, the counter-attacking goal in the first-time finish. Um, on the break, which secured them a one 0 win in that game, which effectively sealed the title. Really, you know, in hindsight, um, 15 goals, Sierra Leone international, a really, really impressive player. Um, very eccentric, uh, a bit crazy at times. In fact, he made the BBC Sport website in the last few weeks because he said that a teammate had put juju on him, and uh, that was why he had to miss one of the international friendlies for Sierra Leone. And uh, he said, I, I promise I'll get my own back, which sounded very, uh, very Agatha Christie-like, to be honest, um, promising revenge on uh, a, a suspected witch doctor within the squad, which is, you know, like, you can't make up some of the, the stuff that comes out of Mr. Booyah to his mouth. But, um, yeah, a real character in the league, I think. I think, he will, I think the league will miss him in terms of his personality as well as his, his ability. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it's a shame to see him go, but uh, he goes with a, a league title under his belt and uh, a place in uh, Yorgan history. In the description of him in the um, in the Scout blog, um, the only real standout player in the Alsvenskan this season, uh, according to one scout that we spoke to, and uh, that just shows how, how good he was in the Alsvenskan uh, this year. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I have to make a bit of a correction there because I, I got told off for this. Uh, the, the, the person in question read the blog and uh, said that he, he felt that he was actually the only standout striker, not the only standout player. So, uh, yeah, I just have to correct myself there on that. So a bit of a misquote there. But, um, yeah, in terms of strikers, he was probably one of the best. Rosenborg as well, Marcus Rosenborg could, could um, you know, he's retiring as well. He can go out with his head held high, the 37-year-old. Uh, Robin Soda with 14 non-penalty goals. That's the same as as Bouyatoure. Uh He did well for EF Core, but you know, ultimately, I think Bouyatoure was the, the the best striker in the league this season. Yeah, well, that's the that's the eleven. Um, the Alsvenskan and Leitserien combined team of the year that we've done, and uh, I guess roll on 2020 now. Yeah, let us know your thoughts as well uh, at Nordic Football on Twitter if you disagree or agree with our. Our choices, we've already had a few comments, um, various things. Um, the formation on the blog itself is obviously a little bit out because we had some comments on the 
structure of the team, you know, and obviously we're not building a side to, to challenge for the title or anything here. We're just picking our favourite players and best players. Um, a few players have missed out, Anders Christensen, I think, at Malmo is a bit unlucky. Um, but, but in general, I think that's a really solid team, to be honest, and I think they'd, uh, they might even be able to challenge a few of the teams in Denmark, actually. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just, these sort of teams of the year are all very subjective and there's a loads of different opinions going around and uh, always respect those. And I know there was a few comments about the formation. Um, I know uh, Ben Wells uh, was uh, questioning why uh, Trippic was in centre midfield, which is perfectly right. I think there might have been a uh, just a, maybe an administrative error there in position, but... Um, Yes, a very uh, a good looking lineup, and um, you know, exciting. That would certainly be a very exciting team. I'll say that, and uh, we, uh, you know, a good way to round off the year. Fantastic stuff. Let's move on to the final part of this show, I suppose, uh, where we wrap up and look ahead to twenty twenty. We've got some listener questions, and we just want to say uh, a very big thank you to our what is it now, Steve? I think it's 1,418 followers on Twitter and mm. many more on Facebook as well, uh, where we've been a little bit less active, but no less uh, grateful to anyone following us um, at Nordic Footpod. And yes, very thankful to you all. So thank you very much for listening throughout the course of this year. We, we really appreciate your comments and, and your support. Um, please do tell everyone and rate the podcast and subscribe and that kind of thing on, on iTunes and wherever you get them. But we have had some listener questions for this final show, which we'll, we'll run through now from some uh, season ticket holders, I suppose, uh, of the podcast. And a few familiar names will crop up here, but uh, as, as this is Liam, indeed, from earlier, thank you for your support. Um, Steve, I'll start you off with one from the 94th minute, who asks, of the promoter teams in the Allsvenskan and Elite Syrian, looking forward to 2020, who do you think has the best chance of staying up next year and why? Do you want to feel that one for the elite before I give my answer <clears throat> well I, I must point out again I don't follow the obviously again um, I, yeah, I just don't uh, really I mean obviously I keep my eye on it but I'm not an expert on what the teams coming up are like but I do know Arlesson fairly well as a club they were only down there you know for a couple of years and they're they're, they're a decently supported outfit and well managed by Lars Bohinen who uh, he came up with Sanderfield last time and he managed to keep them in the league uh, fairly comfortably. So I, I would imagine all of a sudden, I mean, they completely dominated Obos again. I think it was even a record points tally. You've got to think they've got the best chance of survival. But, you know, Sanderfield are back up again. And are, I think they're pretty well managed. So I think, um, you know, both of those two sides will have every chance of certainly staying up and, you know, maybe even being a dark horse like Viking again and pushing it to the top half of the table. Fantastic stuff. And yeah, thank you to uh, the 94th Minute for your question. I think my answer for this, I'm going to have to say, well, there's only two new teams next season because uh, obviously Kalmar have managed to conquer uh, their relegation fears and see off Ike Braga, which I have to say, by the way, Ike Braga, how unlucky are they? Not only did they uh, miss out on promotion narrowly by, well, one point, I think. Mm. Um automatic promotion by one point which was you know very unlucky for them not only did that happen and then they lost the obviously the uh, the relegation playoff but they've also had the ignominy of being uh, promoted um when it was announced that ostersons would be getting relegated due to their financial situation 
Um, and the Swedish Football Federation, in fact, published the fixture list for next year with E.K. Braga in it um, before the appeal had, had even taken place. So Osterson's obviously appealed it and then uh, the decision went in their favour. So E.K. Braga actually had a full fixture list for the Osterson next season and then a week or less than a week later had it taken away from them. So back to the Super and they go. Um, so unlucky to them, but from the two teams who did go up, uh, which is Mialbi and Varbo boys, well, obviously Mialbi have won the title, so I suppose you'd have to look at them as the, the favourite to do well. But I, I happen to think that Varberg might be might be a bit of a dark horse next season in terms of maybe pulling out a few upsets and a few good results. I quite like the squad. Um, obviously, they're not too far from Jotterberg, uh, you know, in that town of, of Varberg. And I think they they nearly got relegated to the third division last year, but they've recovered this year and, and turned it around incredibly. Um, they've got a player that I do really like. He was at Trackers called uh, Perper in Beckage. I remember seeing him in a, in a pre-season game once and I thought he... He could move on. I think he was in the fourth division at the time. He's gone there and done quite well for them. Um, and they've got quite a few other good players. They've got a decent academy. Um, and, yeah, they have some other star players. Keenan Ayer, I think, will be one to watch next season, the South African. Uh, he, he's not a bad player. And, in general, they have some exciting players. If they can, if they can build, and I've seen they've made a few signings already. Um, Serge Marnie as well got 15 goals in the league. He was the third top scorer. I think if they can build and keep some of their players, uh, Bekaj, as I mentioned there, he, he he got six assists, then they might be able to shock a few. But we've talked about it before, the gap between the Osvenskan and the elite and the um sorry, the super ethan is sometimes quite quite worrying in terms of teams just struggling to do anything but fight for relegation when they come up. So we'll see how that goes. That's my concern, and this always seems to happen that the teams that come up do absolutely nothing. Um, I mean, even Helsingborg didn't have a great year, did they? And a lot was expected of them. But I mean, I was just looking at the Super Eight table. I mean, it didn't the points tally for the t- sides that went up was not particularly great? Mialbi lost seven matches. It seemed to me like perhaps the better teams in the division didn't get going until it was too late. Um, it lo- looks like sort of Jönköping, Degerfor, Halmstad, maybe were actually the better teams in that league, but um, for one reason or other, didn't manage to get in themselves in the top three. Um, probably a lot of it due to a bad start, but, uh, you know, good luck to both of them. I, I do hope that we see them being quite competitive. That, that's my hope. Yeah, and it will be interesting to, to, to see. I mean, I'm a bit sad for uh, um, the teams that went down. I think, I mean, AFC, I think they, they kind of deserved it, to be fair, but Gibson's on, I'm a bit sad for, for them. Because I did, I did really enjoy them. But um, yeah, let, let's move on. Thank you to the ninety-fourth minute. Uh, we're going to field another question now, which is from at Nor Football, and we, this is kind of related to the transfer window because there are deals being done already, uh, Steve. And uh, I know you, we go a bit dormant at this time of year, but we we will have one eye on a few deals. And the question from at Nor Football is related to two players in particular. He says, is a player like Dino Islamovic capable of scoring 20-plus for Rosenborg? And then also, what do we think of Delanley back at Viking? I don't know if you want to field the, the first question there. Yeah, I mean, I'll just go to Delanley. I, I like that player. And uh didn't work out for him at Rosenborg, mostly because of injuries, but it was a really good technical player there. Has roots in Viking. And um, do you know what? He's sort of the player they, sort of player they need if they want to sort of maintain and, and build their squad up again to become that regular 
elite Italian top six uh, side. It adds a bit of quality to the team. So really good signing. Now, Islamovic, uh, I'll be honest with you, I, 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 you know him better than me, but um, he doesn't really feel like the sort of striker of sufficient quality that Rosenborg need. I mean, I don't know what you think of that. Yeah, it's an interesting deal, actually. It's not, it's not actually been completed yet. It's not been announced anyway um, by, by Rosenborg. But it is one that's caught my eye for sure. I mean, this is a player who was linked to, to your team, Steve, uh, Leeds United. Uh, a, a lot of links in the, in the summer window to clubs in England, I think Middlesbrough, were also linked Hull City. And there was a lot of rumours that he would, he would move on. Um, but it never transpired. I think, to be honest, if I'm being totally honest here, I think scouts went to watch him and they weren't that impressed. Uh, he went through a bit of a rough patch during just around the time when he was getting a lot of interest. He had about three or four weeks where he didn't really do too much. And I think, to be honest, I, I reckon there might have been some decision makers in the stadium ready to maybe pull the trigger and sign him. And he just went off the boil a little bit for us as soon as around that time and, and kind of tailed off a bit, really. Um, whether that's because of the players around him and just the general situation at Austin's, or whether that's because maybe he's not quite able to handle it. Who knows? I like the player. I think he, he has potential. I mean, 20 goals is a, is a bit of a big ask in terms of, I mean, if you look at it, the last three seasons, only I think only Bourbon and one other has scored 20 goals. Uh, Frank Bolly last year got, I think, was 18. Uh, the year before that, I think 17 was the top scorer. So 20 is a, a bit of an ask. Um, but I think the positives about Islamovic, he's, he's a bit of a target man. Uh, physically, he's very good. He, he's good with the ball at his feet as well, quite creative. Um, what I noticed last season is he, he created a lot of chances for teammates that, that, they, that he kind of missed. So he has that ability to link play. And I think Norway probably is a, an interesting step for him, you know, to go to a team that can be challenging in Europe and that kind of thing. That might be the next reasonable step for him. It looks like his opportunity to go to the championship is, is, is over now. Um, so he, he's going to have to think of a sideways or, or you know, slightly higher move, um, maybe by getting out of Ostersund. So yeah, I mean, I think he can. I think he can score sort of ten to fifteen. Uh, whether he can score twenty goals in, in, in Norway and, and be the main man at, at Rundborg is remains to be seen for me. But he does have some potential. And just an interesting one to note on that with Rundborg, they've hired a new sporting director from Sweden, Mikael Dorsin, who uh, I remember him as a Championship manager legend. Uh, I always used to sign him as a bit of a utility player in the champ man. I think of the old days of a Championship manager. Um, so he's the this new sporting director at Rosenborg and he will be probably looking at the Swedish market. So you might, this might be the first of a few um, Swedish players to head to, to, to Rosenborg in the coming uh, season, maybe. Yeah, they've got to get the recruitment right, Rosenborg. And uh, I quite like the idea that they're looking within Scandinavia to to recruit because, um, you know, I think if you're, not, if you're not careful, you can uh, go, you're looking further afield, it can be a risk, can't it? But you look at last year, Mould assigned Ui Omoanfo for about a decent fee, about a million, I think. And ultimately, that was a signing, you know, he was one of the best scorers in the elitist area. And and that signing worked out for them, didn't it? Because he, he did the job for Mulder as well. So why not still look within Scandinavia or even look within the elitist area itself? If this, the example, if they if they signed Turgir Bourbon and the same Bourbon turned up in 2020, He'd get him twenty goals. I tell you now. Yeah, I mean, with Aslanovic, I think he would do well in. I think he will do. He would do well in Norway. He's that kind of player that I think he would do well. 
but 20 goals is, 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 a, is, a, is, a, is a, I suppose, a big ask. Um, but yeah, I think he, he'd be a good signing if he wasn't, in my opinion. And uh, we also uh, got a couple of questions from uh, Joe Gold. And uh, first of all, he asks, uh, can Norway qualify for the Euros? Uh, I'll be honest, Joe, I'm not even sure who they've got in their playoff matches. Um, is it Serbia or someone like that? I I'm not sure. I just don't really follow international football that much until it comes up to... But I'll tell you what, Norway have got the talent on paper now. They're quite an exciting side and I'd love to see them qualify. Uh, you know, with Holland in there, um, you know, Odegaard, guys like that. It'd be nice to see them, wouldn't it? Um, and then a couple of questions about Sweden. Will a new manager mean a fresh opportunity opportunity for Roma Gaul at Malmö? And who is the clearest candidate for the new manager there at uh, MFF? And, of course, we lost uh, Uwe Rosler, didn't we? Uh, second place uh, finish not good enough <laughs> despite progression in the Europa League. Uh, was he sacked or was he, did he walk himself? Well, I mean, before we come to Uwe Rossler, it's been all change at Malmo, really. They've got a new name for their stadium, the uh, Eleda Stadium from next season. The name will change. A uh, bit of a commercial deal, I think, there, <clears throat> which will give them a few, maybe have a little bit more money in their in their coppers, in their coffers. Uh, they've also got the issue of Zlatan Ibrahimovic at their stadium, and his, uh, well, his statue is not doing too well at the moment. It's being vandalised pretty much every evening. At the moment, uh, toilet seats being thrown on it, and his nose was cut off at one point, and it was graffitied. And at one point, it was a bit unsavoury, some, some um, well, kind of uh, not very nice abuse uh, spray painted onto it um, because of the fact that he's invested in Hammerby. Uh, he's become he's become a shareholder in Hammerby, which is a big move for a, a Malmo legend uh, who has a statue outside the stadium. It's not gone down well at all, to be honest. Um, so yeah, it's all change at, at uh, MFF at the moment. And, of course, as you mentioned there, Uwe Rossler has, has left. Um, kind of mutual, but I think kind of also, I think Rossler, to be honest, I think he, he wanted out from what I can understand. Um, he claimed that he couldn't get the club to where the chairman wants to be, so maybe there's a bit of a back um, story there, maybe a bit of a falling out. Um, but he hasn't. He, he's also said he hasn't got a new job yet. I think he put the feelers out for a few jobs in England, if I'm honest. Uh, there were a few championship jobs that came available, which they rumoured, there were rumours that Rosler was in for them. And my feeling is that perhaps he's looked for a way out, maybe. Um, and Malmo have probably not responded to that too well, especially in the middle of the, you know, toward the Europa League battle and, and, and obviously with the way the season went. You know, this is, in terms of expectations, probably the biggest team in Sweden. You know, they expect to win the league. And in two seasons now, they've not done it. Last year, they had the Obviously, the excuse of Magnus Persson, who, who, um, who had been sacked midway through the season, and Rosler came in and, and and changed things well and picked up picked up very well. But this year, they, you know, they were they had one goal and that was to win the league, and, and they've not really done it. Um, he says it's his decision, and you know he had discussions with the sporting director Daniel Anderson, and and then they, they decided to part ways. I think he wants to change. I think he's probably a bit fed up with Swedish football, and you know he, he's managed at a high level, hasn't he? And I think he wants to probably go back to a higher level maybe but it will always be a little bit of a sore point that he's not won the title at Malmo which is you know considering they've dominated in the past sort of five to ten years um you know he leaves as maybe I wouldn't say a failure but he leaves probably with unfinished business uh, and and you know he's not done exactly what he was asked to do let's put it that way so um 
Yeah, an interesting one in terms of who's going to replace him. Well, Freddie Lundberg was was linked. Uh, obviously, the Arsenal interim manager at one point, um, but he's now been named as part of Mikel Arteta's um, staff. So, I don't think uh, Lundberg's going to go. Although I would have quite liked to see that, to be honest. I think that would have been a, a massive thing for the league. Uh, there's a few other names thrown into the hat, but I'm not entirely sure if any of them are really that believable at the moment. No one's been announced. Uh, and in terms of Roman Gore, well, he wasn't working out for him under Rossler, that's for sure. He, he, he'd fallen out with Rossler. Uh, he wasn't really getting much of a look in considering his quality. And I think for him, he's probably looking at it and thinking, yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty up for that. I'm pretty up for a change and maybe a chance to impress a new, a new manager. Um, there's no real... There's no really player. There's no one else really I can name. There's there's a lot of rumours, as you'd expect, but no one no one really mm. um, has been, you know, the clear candidate yet. So we'll wait and see. It's funny. I feel like the club actually made progress under Rosler in his period in charge of the club, and I really feel perhaps long term, this uh, era here will set them up for. It certainly set them up financially, hasn't it? In terms of the, the Europa League runs they've had stuff like that they've got great resources there you could just see them really dominating a title in one of the next couple of years couldn't you um if they make the right appointment next really that's how i see it from the outside anyway um you know. yeah i think it's his win ratio is actually very very good if you look at over the course of the two seasons he's done really well and to be honest they're one they're, they're one penalty away from winning the title i mean they've lost that by one point they had a better goal uh, you know they scored more goals conceded fewer goals they had the best X XG in the league. They had the best XG against in the league. So really, in, in terms of statistics, they were probably the best team in the league, really. But the forwards have let them down. I think, they, they like I say, they've missed penalties. When one of those penalties going in, they'd have won the title. Malmo, Jurgarden game itself, uh, they missed a penalty in that match when Jurgarden beat them 1-0 away. And if they had scored that, they would be champions. So it really was fine margins at the end of it all. Um, you know, as we say, it was a three-horse race on the final day. This is, you know, we're talking tight margins here. So, you know, it has come down to maybe a little bit of bad luck for the Rosler to a certain extent. But I think I think they should have, he should have seen out the the, the Euros uh, in terms of you know the Europa League in the next round. But I, I think that's what makes me think that he he probably didn't really fancy it to be honest. I think he he probably didn't really want to go into the new season. And you don't want someone, you know, he could have stuck around to the summer next summer maybe, and you know, look towards the trying to you know, do more, but I think he's just thought to himself he doesn't fancy it, which I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a new job pretty pretty soon, maybe, and I think he'll have the feelers out for sure. And by the way, just to let you know, Norway do have Serbia in the playoffs, just so you're aware. And the playoff final, they'd play the winner of Scotland-Israel. Yeah, well, they'd win that final, wouldn't they? I mean, Scotland are awful. Uh, Israel aren't much cop either, so really beat Serbia, I think you can say that they're going to be doing it, but... That is easier said than done, isn't it? Really tough game there. Um, so, yeah, that uh, pretty much wraps up all the questions and, um, as I say, wraps up our uh, personal involvement in, in 2019. And uh, uh, we wish everyone all the best. We've um, we've got a little special treat to, to round off this episode uh, where I uh, join up with uh, Paul the Northman, um, who uh, is a great uh, Viking fan. He gives us a special uh, uh, sort of uh, account of uh, the cup final win there in Oslo and also uh, Viking season as a whole. So a bonus episode there from a great guest uh, coming up to, to finish off the episode.
And of course, on the uh, Nordic Football Podcast uh, Norwegian Season Review, we must talk about the uh, the Cup and uh, the NM Coupon winners this year were Viking. And uh, joining us on the show is uh, Paul, the Northman, who many of you will recognise uh, from Twitter. Who he, he was actually at the game at the Cup final. Thanks for uh, coming on the show, Paul. Uh, delighted to to have you on here. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me along. And, uh, well, many of you regular listeners will know that I'm not the, the greatest fan of, of any cup competitions, actually, certainly domestic ones. And in true fashion, I uh, suddenly missed the final of the uh, NM coupon. I was uh, Christmas shopping in Ikea. So, um, but luckily, Paul, you were there. And um, I watched the highlights of this game. First of all, you are, um, I mean, you've been living in, in Norway, I think, for about six, seven years now, and you've developed quite a strong bond um, with the club uh, Viking, a really passionate supporter. Yeah, I think when, um, when, when you move to a new country, you've got, to, you've got to find your home to watch football. And luckily for me, one of my friends took me along to Viking just after I moved here. And um, yeah, my, my blood turned blue. Which which was nice, and it's it's been a, it's been a journey. It's growing up a Newcastle supporter. You don't think you can punish yourself anymore. <laughs> um, then 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 you start upon Viking and realise you can. <laughs> so yeah, it's been eventful. Yeah, you certainly had some highs and lows, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. But to this cup final, then, and um, I mean a really exciting day for for both sets of supporters, really, because you know it's none of the really traditional. Big, big teams are in this final. You know, the favourites for, for the league and everything. Molde, Rosenborg, they were knocked out long ago. But, you know, Viking had a really strong season in the Elitis area. Augustund had a good campaign as well and mixed in with a great European run. So, you know, it certainly felt to me heading into the match that it was kind of fitting that one of these sides would win the trophy. Um, I mean, how, what was it like pre-match? I mean, I'm sure there was a real buzz there getting into Oslo from both sets of fans. It was um, it was a strange weekend. If you think we 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 filled the stadium out, home and away supporters, as you want to call it, and coming over from the west, both teams coming from Rogaland, it was a uh, it was interesting because walking around Oslo on the Saturday, you were seeing faces which you know from back home, and it was it we t- we took over Oslo. Is the best way to describe it. Um, it was just a sea of blue and white from both from both sides, and it was the buzz leading up to the game was was strange because Hogerson were almost like a little brother to Reekin as we were singing during the game, and um, the the atmosphere is that of a friendly atmosphere right up until kickoff. Then we hated them, mm. um, so the pre-game, I mean, it, it snowed on the day of the match, so there was there was the the, the Christmas atmosphere, you could say, leading up to the game. And we we did a full lap of the stadium before before we went in. And it's it's so friendly. It's the, the atmosphere between fans. There was families which had half Viking, half Hogs. And mm. there was friends who one was a Hogs and one was a Viking fan. They were talking before they went their separate ways into the ground. Would you? I mean, would you say Viking supporters outnumbered the Hogerson ones? I mean, I would expect that personally, knowing. Oh, with without a doubt, without a doubt, we we packed uh, one side and then one one end behind the goal was completely packed, and then we packed the corners as well, where Hogerson only really filled behind the goal. 
it was definitely you would almost say two to one, if not if not bigger. To be honest with you, mm. yeah, that, that doesn't really surprise me. Certainly, Viking. No disrespect to Hogerson, that they are a much bigger club, really, historically and in terms of supporter numbers, really. But um, the actual match itself, then, and I watched the highlights of this and uh, just looking at the expected goals numbers for the games, uh, Viking 1.53 expected goals, of which literally half of that was the penalty, and Hogerson 0.9 expected goals. Uh, I think their biggest chance, well, according to Weisgart data anyway, was a Martin Samuelson header. 67th minute but by and large this was a tight contest uh the pitch looked i mean pretty it looked cold uh, a bit frozen maybe i mean i know it started at midday and uh, i think next year they're going to change this uh, the cup final is going to be at the end of october rather than in december but um a really tight contest throughout uh it, it seemed from the highlights uh, paul uh would you go along with that I mean, I'm kind of surprised they managed to put highlights together, to be honest with you. Um, it, it wasn't the best game of football, without a shadow of a doubt. And if I was a Hogerson fan travelling home after that, you would be very, very disappointed. Mm. The header you mentioned, we actually thought it went in at first, especially because their fans started cheering. Um, so it, it was a, a very clear-cut chance. I really did think they were going to score that. The they started the better. The first 10 minutes, we were passing so poor. Um, giving the ball away after one or two passes, they had a chance, whipped it across from the left side quite early on and very close to connection from the attacker. Um, but we slowly came into it in the first half. And by the, by the 35th minute, we started to get a couple of corners, get a couple of chances where we looked like we were maybe going to sneak a goal before half-time, but we just we just couldn't test their goalkeeper and it was becoming very frustrating. And I think the atmosphere showed that at half-time. I mean, the only shining light through the game for me was Calman Calm up top, who the ball just stuck to him in terms of everything he was winning. The problem was people weren't getting around him. So I feel like we were very lucky to get the penalty when we got it early in the second half, 51st minute. Um, it was definitely a foul. I mean, you can't cut across somebody like that in the box. But the the minute that goal went in, oh my days, we we celebrated to to say to say the least. Yeah, it's, uh, I thought it was a penalty, a definite penalty for me. And um, I, in the build-up, I don't know how Viking didn't actually score. It was the one sort of really oh. big chance it felt in the whole match, really. I think Augustin had a bit of a scramble earlier on in the first half. But um, the penalty goes in and we've got a, this is a fantastic uh, audio clip from you where now, Paul, that we're going to play and uh, when the goal goes in. I mean, I love this clip. It's uh, you've got a couple of. I can hear you just before the penalty's taken. Go on, Trippage. Go on, Trippage. 
and <laughs> it's brilliant. But that, that's that's the whole thing. That's the whole uh, drama of a cup final. And uh, you get the goal, and yeah, there was a not really that many moments of alarm. It, it certainly didn't seem on the highlights. Anyway, the header, uh, Ospo made uh, one good save, oh. didn't he? But unbelievable save unbelievable save it really was it um again from from where we were the other end of the stadium it it looked like it was going in that top corner and it was a it was a fantastic save from him without a doubt mm. 33 years old and getting getting up like that fantastic yeah i mean i'm going to talk a little bit about him later actually but uh you know full-time whistle goes one nil victory i mean you guys must be absolutely delighted there and all the viking fans what a way to end the season it was a fantastic end to the season. I mean, we all had our flags waved and our scarves held high. It was it was just a moment that, personally, I'm never going to forget. It was unbelievable. It was to be able to to enjoy the moment with with a very good friend and to be able to enjoy the first the first cup victory of whilst I've been in this country. It's just been. Oh, amazing amazing it's really hard to put that into words it's yeah it's a special moment and afterwards i i held my phone up for for a video clip of the singing at the end and i just forget it was in my hand you know you just get lost in the moment and i just soaked it all up it was fantastic yeah and it really actually culminates what's been a great season overall for Viking, a fifth place uh, finish there. And, um, you know, it's interesting because pre-season, you know, under season, Buda Glimpse have kind of been the, the success story, haven't they? Second place and everyone predicted them to go down. And if it weren't for them though, Viking would be the, the, the really big overachievers, wouldn't they? I think kind of under the radar. I mean, I predicted them, I certainly didn't predict Viking to go down. I think I had them about 11th or 12th though. And uh, I would imagine quite a lot of people had them in the same sort of position. Uh, all the talk going into the season was that they couldn't defend in the Obostle again, and they only got promoted thanks to just outscoring teams. But the defence actually performed surprisingly well. Um, fifth place finished had an incredible run, certainly sort of mid-summer onwards. I mean, how much credit does the manager deserve, do you think, uh, this season? I mean... <sighs> I think the manager is just, I mean, Biani's, he was at the club in in the 90s, manager, to come back in 2018 and just to do what he's done. I mean, as you say, nobody expected coming up after winning promotion last season. We, we were talking before the season started that as long as we survive, even if it's through the playoffs, we would be, we would be delighted and just see what we can do from there. And bear in mind, we lost um, one of our best defenders to a full season injury right at the start of the season as well. In Anderson, it was just, it was, it was soul destroying to see him get injured because he on loan from um, Reading, he was a he was an absolute man mountain. So to lose him, we really did feel the worst. But um, the defensively we've been fantastic. I mean, a plus thirteen goal difference in the league is is really good. We lost as many games this season as we did in our promotion winning season last year. The only difference was we only drew one game last year, where we drew eight this season. As you say, if it wasn't for a bit of glimpse, we, we'd be the, we'd be the the surprise team of the of the season without a shadow of a doubt. And it's, just, I mean, we're going in Europe in two thousand twenty. 
it's 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 insane, and I think you can't help but give a knighthood to Bjarne Bird. And why why not? <laughs> Absolute legend. So mm. he's he's never going to lose that. He's always going to be known as the coach who won the cup in two thousand and nineteen. Yeah, I mean, certainly the end of the season. I mean, just two defeats since the fourteenth of since the eleventh of August and. I kind of let you off those because at that point the um, yeah, the cup uh, quarterfinals, semi-finals, and the final was obviously in the minds of the players. There was an incredible rotation system which I couldn't believe actually worked. Um, it's staggering, really. But um, you know, fair play. And I just want to talk about one really key player this year, Blacklow Tripic, who you know he's he's certainly in my elite Serian team of the year. And um, you know, I've actually we've got a, a blog going up from Wisecout, and I've even put him in. The uh, combined uh, Alsvenskan and the Litasarian team of the year. He's been that good. Uh, but captain, inspirational leader. Um, obviously, had a great year in the Obost again. Did you did you expect him to make the step up again to the Litasarian so strongly? And, and and why is he just why is he exactly so good? I did expect him to step up because I didn't understand why he was with us in the second tier in terms of he's way too good for that level. Um, but as the song says, he comes from Lingdal, so he wanted to be, he wanted to be home, coming back to coming back to Viking, and he's just he's so good because he's he scares defenders. He doesn't he doesn't think about anything else while getting the ball and running with it. There was a point in the final where he picked the ball up near near our corner flag, not near their corner flag, and he had no interest in just kicking the ball long. He tried to run through the whole team. It's just it's just what he does. He gets the ball and he runs with it. Now, maybe you would say a team who's coming up into the division, you need to have 11 men who are going to fight back. They're going to fight forward. And, and workers team, you don't want someone who is almost, you would say, selfish. But with Trippich, we have someone who is selfish. And it's fantastic. It, it's honestly, he's a game changer. He's a game changer and... That's what's made us a top half team. The biggest thing we need to do in the winter now is secure Calman on loan um, as a actual signing. He's been on loan as somebody who wins them headers, holds the ball up. It just helps Trippich in terms of a link up. Mm. I'm I'm nervous. I'm nervous for the for the winter to see what we do. Yeah, because you might actually lose players um, this winter. There's been some shining younger players. Um, you know, Bierschel's done well. Torstvet, can't see him lasting too long there in Stavania. Um, Top goal scorer this season as well. I mean, Tripic himself might be even on the radar of some some teams. Always a little bit older, and I suspect you probably will keep him. And um, you know, one of the players I want to talk to you about before we move on. It's a real mystery to me this one that Ivan. Uspo in, in goal, who I've got to be honest, I've never ever rated him one bit personally. And um, yeah, I just, when it springs to mind his story, just crap goalkeeper. Something always goes wrong, a bit like sort of, you know, what David James used to be like, Calamity James, that sort of mistake used to come in. Although David James had a lot of the good qualities, to be fair. But I mean, even last season, in the promotion decider, um, he made a massive cock up, didn't he? And I was expecting a horror show from him this year. But to be brutally honest, I actually had him, have him down as the second best on form, the goalkeeper in the Elite Serien this year behind Sandberg, really. He's been sensational. I, I, I can't work it out, Paul. 
I don't know whether a fan who knows the team better might be able to shed some light on why he's been so good this year. Well, if I could send you a picture of my notes, I have. He reminds me of David James. Yeah. <laughs> he's um he's a good goalkeeper. His footwork is left a question. But in terms of as you say, he does make the odd mistake and that is that is a worry, but our problem is is our backup goalkeeper in Wishner. He's <laughs> I, I don't think he's any better, you know. I mean, it's terrible as well. well. Yeah, we don't have we don't have the depth, and I mean, in the warm up, um, Osper was he dropped a couple, you know, mm. and it, one of them was he dropped it literally into the goal, and I, I was thinking there's been a lot of snow, the ground is a bit slippy. I'm a bit concerned, but as soon as the match started, he was confident, uh, apart from one clearance, which I don't know if it made into the highlights or not. But he had a clearance which hit the hit the attacker's head and almost went in the back of the net. But apart from that, he he had a good game, and I think we can't we can't take that away from him. You know, he he stepped up when he had to step up. Yeah, I think we have to really absolutely praise him. Um, even the biggest critics like myself historically have to praise him right to the limit this year. He's been brilliant. Let's talk a little about yourself uh, before we end uh, this interview, with Paul. And uh, uh, you can follow Paul the Northman on Twitter at uh, tn underscore the Northman and uh, Englishman in Norway, uh, football and golf fan, former semi-pro football manager with Björkrim, uh Yell. So um, tell us a bit about yourself, how you got into Norway and the... Um, the managerial career had had down there in the lower leagues. Yeah, so well, I moved to Norway due to meeting meeting a lady, and deciding it was a a nicer life opportunity here than in England because I was struggling to find work at the time. Um, and yeah, 2016, I joined Bjerkrim in pre-season a week before the season started to to start playing, and the next thing I know, the the manager didn't turn up. And because I'm that overconfident, cocky Englishman, I thought I'd just step forward on my first day of training and said, I'll take training today. Um, and then, yeah, a week later, we started the season and somehow I was still in the job. Um, and the team had struggled. They went from the the fifth tier, Division 4, down to the seventh tier, Division 6, pretty much back-to-back. Basically, getting absolutely hammered every single week, um, and we we started the season all right. And 2016 was a struggle. Luckily, I got told very early on that no team was going to get relegated that season due to a problem the division below, um, which was lucky because the team we still finished bottom. But second half of the season, we really started to turn things around, and I started to almost find my feet. We started to pick up some points. And in 2017, we finished mid-table. 2018, we just missed out on promotion by a couple of points. And I developed by far the youngest team in the league. I think our average age was like 22, 21. So it was a, a really, really good experience. But halfway through 2019, unfortunately, I decided to step down. Um, it wasn't the, the club's decision. They wanted me to stay on. But we were... Bottom half, struggling. Um, I felt like they needed a, 
a fresh voice in to try to kick them on. We lost a few players to other clubs and moving off to university mm. with a couple of them. So, Division 6 uh, football in, in Norway, uh, how would you compare that to sort of the level in England? And, and what is it like? So, I, I don't know whether you call it grassroots football in Norway at that level. Probably not quite as low as that, but um, you know, what is the standard like? I mean, this. I would at that level, the standard is it's very mixed. I would say the next step up, if we'd won promotion up to Division Five, that's where that's where it really kicks on. You know, it really becomes okay. Training four times a week, everyone's one hundred percent dedicated. Where at Division Six, you've got maybe twelve, thirteen, fourteen dedicated players who are training three times a week. Then you've got a few who. They, they come once a week and then the other two times they've they've got something they've got to do at home. Um, so in terms of comparison, it's very hard to compare because, as you know, and probably everyone listening knows, the English league system has so much depth. You have clubs mm. down in the seventh tier, sixth tier, who are considering all are professional. Um, there's just so much depth. I mean, you could say it's level nine, level 10, around that that level, maybe... I'm not too sure. You you would honestly have to just put them all on a field and see see how it went. <laughs> but if you think one one division up from us in 2019 was Stavanger IF, who before the war were in the top flight. So there's some big teams down there, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, I mean, um, just three divisions above you would be uh, Frederick Star, of course. Who were uh, perhaps the biggest name down there in the uh, sort of uh, lower tiers of Norwegian football these days? Um, I mean, did you enjoy the role there? Three and a half years in the job, you must have got. Yeah, a I mean, I, I loved it. I learned a lot. I mean, I got a lot of a lot of praise, a lot of a lot of attention in terms of since I've left, I've had a quite a few job offers, which has been really really nice from from many different areas of Norway, which has been fantastic and well appreciated. So I loved it. Uh, going to training three, four times a week. And when I wasn't training, I was watching other teams playing their matches. It was it was a good experience and definitely something I'm going to get back into, but only when the time and the club feels right. And um, off the field itself, you're quite a renowned YouTuber, aren't you, I do believe, um, especially with... Uh, a lot of the football manager uh, blogs that you put up. Yeah, I like I like to keep myself busy. Um, some something to do on an evening. It's 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 a hobby of mine. I like to, I like to video edit. I like to create and just see what I can put together and see where it takes me. Yeah, it's uh, very popular these days, and uh, yeah, I don't know many uh, football fans who um, who don't really get the football manager uh, version. I've already got it myself this year. I, I get it to aid my database, uh, and of course, end up playing somewhere along the line so um yeah keep up the good work there on the uh, on the videos paul and it's great to hear from you um on, on the nordic football podcast thanks for joining us no oh, my pleasure i appreciate it thank you for having me on yes uh, thanks very much again to paul the uh, Northman, and just to round things off now uh what um are your overriding forks for 2019 then john it's been a really good year I- i've really enjoyed this season on the podcast uh, we've passed 50 episodes, haven't we, Steve? Which is a, a bit of a mar- personal milestone. I think we've um, had a good season in terms of guests. Uh, don't know if you have have a, have a favourite guest, any listeners, or if there's anything that you've enjoyed this year particularly. I'd love to hear any comments um, on that. But yeah, I, I mean, 
from my point of view, Malmo have made it to the you know knockout stages of the Europa League. Uh, we've got we had a three-way title race, gone down to the final day of the season in the final 45 minutes, which was beyond thrilling. I really, really enjoyed the title race. It was a brilliant year for that. Um, the relegation battle, Falkenberg getting out of it. The, the, you know, the interview with Hassel Eklund was very insightful, and in, you know, just in terms of how they escaped. Um, <clears throat> drama to the end. Norway as well. Drama to the end. Um, the only, I suppose, the title race there wasn't too big, but for a while, Buda Glimp looked like they could maybe challenge. So, you know, the, the big boys haven't had it their way. Rosenborg and Malmo. I've really enjoyed this season. I don't know about you, Steve. Yeah. You know what? This time of year, it just feels a million miles away, doesn't it? You can hardly envision. Um, you know, um, the middle of summer when the um, you know the, the two leagues are a banging operation, the really light nights up there. Um, but uh, yeah, I certainly enjoyed it. It was it had its a lot of dramas in its own uh, different ways, and um, yeah, roll on twenty twenty. Uh, really looking forward to it. And there's more, loads more to come from the Nordic Football Podcast uh, going forwards. Most definitely, and uh, you know we have to give a special thanks, by the way, before we wrap up this show to, well, let's name a few names, shall we? Tor Toddison, uh, Kunild, Toldness, Simo Valakari, Sean Constable, the main man, Sean Constable, Henrik Pedersen, uh, Amin Asgar, Vigar Hansen, of course, Asman Bjorkan, Buda Glimt, Hassa Eklund, and Lecky James, the special guests on this year's podcast. Personally, as I say, it's been a really insightful one. If you can listen to some of those episodes, the Vigard Hansen one I thought was, was fantastic. Steve, your insights there with him. Henrik Pedersen, his talk and his comments on the psychology of football and the human side of things was also very interesting. Um, I think it's been a really good year for us. And uh, yeah, I hope you've all enjoyed it as well. Don't forget, please, if you've enjoyed the show and you like it going forward, please do subscribe, tell people that you know, re retweet um, the podcast and Obviously, we do survive on on uh, the oxygen of your of your approval, I guess, and your enjoyment. So we do it for you, and I hope you enjoy it. So we're going to continue in the in the year to come. Uh, for now, though, Steve, I think you're going to go and have some turkey sandwiches. I'm going to pull another Belgian beer out of the freezer or the fridge, sorry. And um, let's listen to the Northman. And uh, well done to you, Steve. I've enjoyed the year with you in your company. Uh, a bit grumpy at times, but overall, I think you've uh, I think you've deep down you've enjoyed it. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> yes well uh, thanks very much i've enjoyed it as well uh jf my, my old friend and uh very much look forward to uh to 2020 with you so uh take care everyone and we'll see you again very soon goodbye goodbye everyone